Welcome into the Husker 24-7 podcast. Yes, I am Mike Schaefer. Yes, I have returned. And I am joined by Brian Christopherson, Michael Brunts. No one knows where he is. We're not concerned, though. He'll be back before the football season starts. He just needed a little <laughs> siesta, if you will, Brian Christopherson. You never need a siesta because you can just go out your back door and sit in the hammock and you're recharged. It's like your uh, charging station. Yeah, it is. It's like the one charging station at the airport that everybody's fighting for out there right in my backyard. And uh, yeah, you, you made it seem like Brunts could be anywhere out there. We don't know. He, we just hope he gets back, but we know he will because he, uh, he seems like a man when we're on road trips that uh, he's the one guy who knows where we're going. Like he's got a compass, an inner compass that we don't have. Yeah, I heard you guys got to spend some quality time together in the Chicago airport. Uh, we did. It wasn't as bad as it seemed like it was going to be. It looked like it was going to be about a nine or 10 hour delay. And it only turned out being like four hours. And Brunts was, you know, on top of it, like making sure we were at the top in the standby line, you know, probably slipping $20 bills to people. It, it was beautiful to watch him work. Sort of, sort of like uh, Ray Liotta and Goodfellas when he uh, wants a table up front and he was walking through the kitchen handing people money. That's sort of what Bruns was doing. I don't know. I, I feel like Goodfellas has become the new the new movie that this podcast talks about the most. That it, the fugitive has been cast in the side, <laughs> uh, just yeah. like the Big Ten Media Days did to it. The, the fugitive is no more, and now it's Ray Liotta and, and Goodfellas. And oddly, True Lies is like somewhere in the top five. <laughs> Or a I don't Pauly, think that's odd at all. Or a Polly Shore movie or something. There, there's nothing odd about Arnold Schwarzenegger being a uh, a just incredible computer genius or whatever he was supposed to be <laughs> uh, for his cover as the world's top spy. So nothing odd about that at all. All right. So media days were not in Chicago. We'll start with just that tidbit. Was it weird being in Lucas Oil Stadium for this event when you're accustomed to uh, weird hotels in the, the Chicago scene, whether it's McCormick Place, the Hilton. Uh, there's one of the Marriott, maybe the downtown Marriott in Chicago we've done. Um, so did you did you like the change this year, having it in Indy? I did. Aside from needing a connecting flight, uh, I thought it was better. I mean, it's just uh, they could have had a better setup for Scott Frost as the people on our message board uh, know full well because we posted the video and it was nobody's fault but they had the stations pretty close to each other. So halfway through Scott Frost Q and a with the media on off to the side, you start hearing one of the Penn state superstars. who's only like 15 feet away and he was a loud talker. Um, that's how Seinfeld, another show, which we would reference, we reference a lot would describe him. And he was sort of drowning out Scott Frost and it, Scott's like, I can't hear you guys. And so that was my one beef. They need to, they need to move the, the head coach is almost to their own end zone setting, knowing the crowd they're going to draw. But otherwise, it was great. I will admit, I got that flashback because the last time I'd been in that building was 70 to 31. And then at the same, at, you know, Wisconsin, Nebraska, and at the same time, you have Texas, Oklahoma news coming out that they're leaving. And it, it felt like I was like in a time warp going back 10 years. Yeah, we'll dive into a little uh, little realignment talk here at the end of the podcast. We'll see who BC, if he was Kevin Warren, uh, who he would be targeting. We'll, we'll get those answers here in a little bit. But Media Days was last week. You know, I watched it from home, and I, I was kind of struck that it 
it felt like, and not that Scott Frost is ever not business, but it felt more like plain to me that this is a program that just knows that it there's it can't be cute in its comments. It can't, you know, they have to acknowledge what they haven't done well. I thought that Scott Frost did that. They have to acknowledge, you know, a number of things. And I just thought it was a very business-like performance compared to, you think back to the 2019 like that was the last media days that we would have attended and you're coming off of the end of the the 2018 season you win those games you had the weird start with things Adrian Martinez is a Heisman candidate and you know where the program is at as he's answering those questions in 2021 versus how people felt in July of 2019 it was just very very different tone wise to me I, I don't know, maybe I'm just reading or projecting my own thoughts on it, but did you sense that at all? <clears throat> no, if you wanted in a nutshell, it was when Frost was asked about the preseason media poll, which I'm sure he gives, you know, two figs about, but he answered it and Nebraska was picked fifth in the West. And he said, yeah, I mean, that's where we should be right now until we show otherwise, basically we have to earn it. And, uh, he mentioned that a couple of years ago, sort of like you're talking about, Nebraska was picked to win the West. And he said, we hadn't earned that, you know, and everybody would have got excited then, but we hadn't done anything to earn that yet. And so uh, fifth is, is fine. That's, and if it motivates some guys all the better. So I thought that sort of encapsulates what you're getting at. Like they're definitely, it's definitely like, I feel confident in my team. I think they're confident in who they are. I'm excited to get this thing going. Uh, but we know we got to prove it and we're going to leave it at that. That was, that was it. I mean, that was it in a nutshell. And there was a few nuts and bolts items tacked onto it sort of. Did you, and, and again, like I watching that initial podium session at home, he was asked about what position group he was most excited about. And, you know, normally your coaches are going to give you like four different groups. They're never going to, outline just one and in this case he did and it was the offensive line and I, I think to me it was a good sign that he picked a unit that wasn't on the defensive side of the ball we've heard so much about how old they are and, and how good they've been and, and all of those things on defense it was nice to hear some optimism expressed about an offensive group that has been up and down in times but it has been one where if you look at Nebraska and, and what they've done in terms of recruiting they really have done a nice job accumulating talent with that offensive line. And I think we're really going to see that here in the 2021 season. Yeah. And I would say the offensive line is sort of the position group. Obviously you could answer Adrian Martinez on this, but if you're talking about a position group where if it's mid October and we're feeling good about them, we're feeling good about the big picture of the program as well. It's the O line. If, if that is trending North and you, uh, look at the guys who are making up that unit who aside from Sichterman are all sophomores or less on paper. So there's this weird dynamic where the O-line is young on paper, but not necessarily that young because most of the guys are at least in their third year, say for Corcoran, who's in his second. Um, so you, you feel like they have enough experience that they should be able to get some stuff done, but you, you don't know exactly how it's going to mesh together yet. Um, but they do definitely think they have an actual two deep now. And they didn't used to think that they used to think they had five or six guys. And then there was a pretty large gap. And Frost said, you know, early on, the problem with that is even if you have some decent players at the top, 
they realize they can kind of coast, you know, if you're a starter and the second guy's not good enough to challenge them at all. Well, now they feel like maybe they can change that where Matt Sichterman has a guy like Brant Banks on his heels. Uh, New Illy uh, Nuri is a guy they really like who's come on, who can be a, another option at tackle if one of the young guns falters at the bookend spots. And, uh, you know, even Cam, if he doesn't get the snaps in order, they, they're working uh, Trent Hickson and Piper's taking snaps and New Illy's taking snaps. So they've got guys who are at least training for it if something goes wayward there. So I do think there's something to be said for guys at least feel somebody sort of breathing down their neck a little bit more, and hopefully that uh, gets the best out of them. Do you uh, before we before we move off the offensive line? Greg Austin was talking on Monday night on Sports Nightly. Did you pick up anything new there? You mentioned some of those names. I, I mean, Newelli seems like that's kind of the biggest descent um, from from the Greg Austin thing, maybe yesterday, or or a little Henry Lutovsky too. That maybe another true freshman could be in line to get some snaps in the way that we saw Turner Corcoran at the end of last year. Yeah, what's interesting to me is the log jam that's going to be caused by the eligibility freeze as we go through this another year or two, because Corcoran freshman, Ben Hart, technically a freshman on paper, Piper freshman on paper. So they're the same on paper as Latovsky. And obviously Latovsky could redshirt this year and have one more year than those guys. But my point being, you're going to have some of these guys like Latovsky and Prohaska who are going to over the next year or two probably enter the conversation as guys who could play. And you're going to already have some guys who are established who still maybe have like two years of eligibility left. And so there's going to be sort of this interesting fight because the O-line is very uh, underclassman centric. You know what I mean? So like it's, 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 there's not a lot of spacing between the classes and that's nobody's fault. It's sort of because of the COVID thing and all that, but that's going to be an interesting dynamic as a guy like Latovsky rises up, but it's definite that he's a guy who right off the bat caught people's attention. Ben Stilley was talking about him in Indy too, uh, which I, I think is telling when, you know, a super senior on the other side of the ball is mentioning a first year O lineman. And he's like, yeah, that guy's going to be a player. Yeah. I, um, I have always really kind of felt like Henry Lutovsky of those, of those couple linemen, he and, and Teddy Prohaska, it just felt like Lutovsky had done a ton of work before he ever got to Nebraska to try to put himself in position to, to be a good player, to be someone that can um, help out early in his career. And, and it is really interesting to hear people talk about him this early. And it's just, there's so many names. You know, on that offensive line, I mean, you know, there's guys like Jimmy Fritchie, there's Michael Lynn, there's Alex Kahn, there's all these different players that we haven't really had to talk about yet, in addition to all the names everyone else knows, in addition to the incoming players, which is also why it's not a huge deal, and, and I don't mean to segue this into recruiting entirely, but Nebraska doesn't have an offensive line commitment yet in this class. They will end up with a few, but they're kind of in this enviable point right now where they can wait and see how some of those younger guys develop. And as you said, Brian, because you have an impending log jam there, you don't want to also just continue to keep bringing in young players. If it doesn't look like there's a real opportunity for some of them for maybe three years to even see the field. 
Yeah. Um, it's sort of interesting how they're going to have to, you know, finesse those numbers a little bit with recruiting moving forward, not just <clears> offensive line, but everywhere. That's one part of it. And then the other part is yesterday, you know, they, they update their roster and this was no surprise because we hadn't seen him around in the spring, but Branson Yeager's not on there, you know, and he was a 2021 class guy and you never, uh, you know, it's always a interesting thing when a guy leaves pretty early before he even got started seemingly, but you sort of shrugged your shoulders a bit because of what we're talking about. There's just so many guys over there uh, right now. And they like uh, Lutovsky and, and Prohaska that it's sort of, uh, I don't know, it, it, it kind of made that a more minor note than it would normally be yeah. if, uh, if an O-line recruit from the last class were no longer on the roster. That would usually be a pretty big deal. And it's a good thing that it's not. I mean, but we'll, we'll see. They, they, these guys have everything to prove because – this fan base has heard this before. They've seen guys who were pretty good O-line recruits and had stars to their name, and they saw them play a good first year or so and then sort of stop in place. And so I think what this fan base wants to see is, you know, let's take like a Nick Gates, for example. And I know he played hurt at times during his Husker career, but he's a guy who made it to the NFL and, you know, is making a living for himself now. And I think if you look at his college career, it started off pretty gangbusters, and then it was sort of like it, it kind of leveled off. And that's the thing where this fan base wants to see that go away, you know, where you get a Ben Hart or you get a Corcoran and there's just this steady climb year after year where you can tell, okay, he's, he's even a little better this year. And uh, that's something that probably was missing uh, in the past that needs to show itself. Yeah. I, I agree with, with all of that. Jumping back over to, to media days moving off of just the offensive line what else kind of struck you in your your 20 hour period of of covering nebraska there i mean you had austin allen you had ben stilly you mentioned stilly talked about lutovsky you had deontay williams uh for those who who hadn't talked to him a lot deontay williams very enjoyable interview sounded like he had a good experience there did you learn much from the players i guess uh in in your conversations with them in those side sessions yeah, I mean, I think this has been told before media days, but it's interesting to me how much the super seniors on defense like Stilly were sort of in concert on what they were going to do. Like they were really communicating back and forth about, you know, coming back or not coming back for this season. And it, I'm not saying that it was all like, okay, because JoJo's coming back, I'm coming back. But they definitely can't seem to come to like this sort of group belief, like, yeah, let's, let's, we can't leave this right now. This is unfinished. This, this project is, is not up. You know, we haven't completed the building. We got to get some stuff done before we leave this program. And uh, I, I really like that. I mean, that you got to think that's a determined bunch to, you know, forego pro aspirations for another year. And I know some people say, well, maybe those opportunities weren't there for them. But nonetheless, these guys get a year older. They put more wear and tear on their bodies uh, before taking on that journey, uh, you know, for the uh, basically the reason of leaving Husker football in a better place. And I think that, that's admirable. So um, you would hope that that translates to something special for those guys, some of whom have actually never played in a bowl game here, you know? So that's a, 
it, it was just interesting to hear Stilly talk through that process, sort of. How much NLIL talk was there throughout the day on, on Thursday or, or even from the players, I guess, specifically, we'll start with that. I mean, it's, it's such a big topic of conversation, but it's funny because like once you move past the sort of media day discussion on it, the day to day, like, I, I just think that you're not going to hear the term that often. I mean, other than me just bringing it up right now, I don't think that anything notable with Nebraska has happened NIL wise here in the last week or so. But what, what sense did you get from the players of their early experience uh, dealing with this new sort of thing that's available for college athletes? Austin Allen made a good point. He said he thinks it's going to take off a little bit more than it has because right now he believes that there's probably some businesses and, you know, people who want to reach out maybe, but they don't know quite what they're supposed to do. Like they're still figuring out sort of the, the protocol and what's required to make a deal with an athlete. And uh, so he thinks some of that has uh, been a holdup. He had a few opportunities. It sounded like that he was considering um, nothing like that would, you know, blow your mind, but you know, stuff that earns him a few bucks. And um I don't know if the general public is going to be as interested in it as we kind of, as everybody kind of acted like on like June 30th, you know, at 11:55 PM when it was about to happen. Like, I think there was this idea, like it's, you know, it's going to be like nothing we've ever seen before. And it did, it has changed the landscape. Don't get me wrong, but I'm still trying to figure out myself uh, how severe it changes the landscape. And I think it might take a good year or two before we actually know, or, uh, you know, what sort of dent or how it, how it uh, sort of moved around what we know about college sports. But um, to this point, I would say uh, just as an observer of it, it hasn't been something that was like jumped out to me a lot, aside from the occasional headline of like, Oh, this Alabama QB supposedly makes a million dollars or something. And that kind of catches people's attention. Otherwise, I think people are just talk very generally about it. Yeah, I, I agree um, with, with all of your assessment there. And, and I just think it's once the season gets here, people aren't going to be talking about it either, at least in terms of the contracts or, or whatever else, because it's just you're going to be into the actual football. And that's what people want to discuss most of the time. It was the second, I believe, second media opportunity for Trev Albert since he took over. Uh, he was out there in Indy. Scott Frost joked that Trev Alberts actually wanted to stick around a little bit longer. He couldn't understand why. So he, he went out there separately. Uh, but what, what did you take from your, your second time with Trev Alberts, who it seems like has won over a fair amount of the media just based on the reactions of, of the previous week when he was announced, and then certainly last week with uh, his second appearance at Big Ten Media Days. Yeah, Trev drove out there. And the reason he did it, uh, from my understanding, is because he did want extra time because I think he wanted to hang around some of the other ADs and stuff. Like, they are going to go to dinner. And, you know, I think he's trying to build some of those relationships. I know he has a meeting or has had it with Kevin Warren, a one-on-one, that obviously we would have all loved to have been flies on the wall and have heard how that went. I like that he's candid. Uh, I said this on uh, some radio show I was on, but what was most impressive was 
when I went through and transcribed his answers, you know, he doesn't, he knows generally what he's going to get asked, but he doesn't know specifically how the question's going to come out. And as I read back his quotes, it was like you were reading something that was a speech from somebody that was, you know, off a teleprompter, like exactly as they wanted to say it word for word. And that's an impressive skill, you know, to like actually go out and off the cuff in an interview session, give answers where they're that polished, uh, where it doesn't circle around and all this stuff like I talk. Uh, and it actually gets to the point, it hits with some candor and it also um, admits the flaws that have been there in Nebraska's part. The biggest thing I think that they've done so far, and you can get your opinion on this too, I'm interested, is I like that there's been a concerted effort from the start from Trev and Ronnie Green to say the Big Ten is it, okay? We got to put to – they haven't set out just like this, but let's put to bed this looking over the fence at what was, and this is the conference. We've got to build the relationship here. That doesn't mean our voice can't be heard, and we've got to make it heard but this is our conference and we're in a stable spot. We have a seat at a table and wouldn't Iowa state and Kansas state and all those schools like to have a definite seat at a table right now. Let's, let's be honest. I mean, right now it's a scary time for those programs in the big 12. And so Nebraska needs to embrace where they're at, build upon it. And um, Trev's got to have a presence where he gets through and gets Nebraska's point through to the, to his peers um, in a way that I think has not always been the case. Yeah, I, I think you're absolutely right. I mean, I think Nebraska's done a nice job solidifying that they're a Big Ten team. They want to be a Big Ten team. They have no interest in doing anything else. But, I mean, I, I don't know that the leadership at Nebraska was ever the one driving that conversation, at least. Probably. No, they weren't. And so it, it's at least good that they're there to tamp down or punch back against that idea, which – if the last week wasn't a good enough indication for people why Nebraska left in the first place, they're never going to get it. So they're where they are in the big 10. And I, I think that they have to figure out how to uh, be successful in that conference and incorporate themselves in that conference instead of waiting for this uh, olive branch or invitation into the club. I mean, they got to crash the party, so to speak. Mm -hmm. And they haven't done that uh, at least from the football aspect. And so I, I think that your, your read on it is, is absolutely correct. I mean, I even like the way that Scott Frost answered the question about how the Big Ten should handle the, the cancellations um, with, with COVID. He basically said, I'll leave it up to the conference. He appreciated what they did in allowing them to play last year. Yada, yada, yada. Just a smart, easy answer that avoids any sort of blowback and, you know, avoids the whole Nebraska wants out of the conference conversation. Yeah, pick your battles, right? I mean, that's what they did well in Indy. They they picked they didn't have any battles. <laughs> you know, there were there were like the question you bring up is one where Frost could have taken it a different avenue and made that a, a headline, and he didn't. And uh, that's smart. You know, why? Who cares? You know, move on. It what happened last year is done. You just got to move on. But um, yeah, I do think people are finally seeing around here because there has been a lot of nostalgia and I get it. I'm kind of a nostalgic person with college sports myself, but I think we misplace it. And it's been a nostalgia a lot of times for a big eight that is long, long gone, you know, like that, though, that is, that's gone. And right now you got to embrace it. Nebraska is in a division where it is as much, if you look around the country at conferences, 
the Big Ten West is about as regionalized as any conference, you know, like any yeah. division. You mean, so I, I know it's not what you're used to for 80 years. You know, it's not Lawrence and Ames and that stuff. But all said, they're relatively close to the schools comparatively to some conferences in this country. And so, and it's also a good roadmap. The Big Ten West is not some giant that can't be slayed. You know, Wisconsin's been good. Iowa's been solid, but it's not like it's some division where you couldn't get to the top of it and then get a one game shot at putting yourself in the playoff if you got yourself in order. And so I think you got to look at it that way too. Like it's a good roadmap you're in right now. And so take advantage of it. All right, let's take a break. We will come back. We'll get into some uh, realignment talk. We'll talk about Nebraska basketball. We'll hit on a little recruiting. This is the Husker 24-7 podcast. We're down a man, but we are going the full length today. We can do it. I believe in us, Brian. We'll be right Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. All right, I mentioned before the break we were going to hit on a little Nebraska basketball. They had their own kind of media day gathering i guess if you will at least split up into two groups several of the players met with the media last week for the first time several more will meet this week bc has yet to meet group two but he was there for group one there is i don't know if it's casey tomanaga leading japan to the quarterfinals i don't know if it's the new edition of the verge i don't know what it is exactly but there's an undercurrent of optimism about nebraska basketball that uh, has people, despite the fact that I think Hoiberg has won like 17 total games in his two years, that have people pretty excited about this program going into year three. Brian, have you kind of picked up on that um, over the last week or so, uh, or really even just during this offseason, or am I again just grasping at straws here? I feel like I do that a lot, but maybe not here. Uh, uh, we all do that, but – have you been uh it feels like you've been really on top of the three on three olympics like i you're getting quick updates out there are you like staying up till three to watch these no not necessarily i just love the idea that nebraska basketball has a guy representing (laughs) his country in three on three basketball and on top of that he's played really well i mean he's uh you know and they go by ones and twos and so people see like he had eight points they're like oh that's not that great and it's like well, actually, he hit like three three pointers, and you know he had a game winning layup. He had a game winning shot last night against China, or this morning against China. However, unfortunately, Casey Tomanaga and Japan was eliminated by Latvia this morning uh, ah. in a back and forth affair. Uh, they lost twenty one to eighteen, and uh, 
Tominaga missed what would have been a 2020 tying three pointer. Uh, and then they were able to score on a free throw, but it, it has been just kind of fun to follow and put it this way. I mean, you got a guy that can knock down the outside shot. Suddenly every Nebraska basketball fan in a 500 mile radius is like, Hey, they could use that. And I, I think Tominaga mm-hmm. is going to be a, a pretty big part of, of their team this year. Yeah. They, they think they got some guys who can shoot it now. And uh, you know, obviously everybody jumps to uh Bryce McGowan's first off. It sounds like uh, Bryce is sort of delivering on the hype uh, behind closed doors. Uh, that's, there's been some practices where he's sort of taken them over. Uh, but there were some other interesting names that sort of popped up last week, and it'll be we'll see what they say this week. But Alonzo Verge, you know, coming over um, from Arizona State. Uh, the first like two days he was on the floor, he showed everybody like, okay, this guy is a player, <laughs> you know, like we, he's a guy who's going to fight for time and he didn't come here for no reason. Um, so he's pretty slick according to some of his teammates. So he's exciting. And then there's guys on this roster who we don't even talk as much about, but like Corin McPherson is a freshman and like everybody calls him Q and he, he was, he's sort of a defensive guy who gets in people's grill and uh, is already sort of a leader and talks a lot. And, you know, he, Trey McGallans, it sounds like has really fed off having his brother around and, you know, really pushing him sort of through tough love. Uh, So that's seemingly a good situation and they, they have a good chemistry together. And I think are enjoying this possible just one year to play basketball on the same team. And then, you know, that's going to push guys like Latman and, and others who have been here uh, when they're actually looking at these pickup games now and they're saying, okay, this does look different compared to a year ago. You know, this, this is more formidable and we can win games, but I'm also going to have to, I'm going to have to carve out my spot on this team because uh, there's more guys vying for spots. Who, I mean, first blush, there's, there's a lot of new faces. Uh, is it is it McGowan's that you're most excited to see because of the five-star pedigree? Is it Wilhelm Breedenbach, who there seems to be a lot of uh, kind of early buzz about? Is it is it Verge coming from Arizona State? Is it Tominaga? I mean, there's there's several newcomers that are going to get some run with Nebraska. Who amongst that group are you maybe most excited about? I mean, Bryce is the easy answer, so let's go a different way because uh, he everybody probably would just say him, but. After that, I have to admit, it's probably Alonzo Verge just, you know, because he has he had a good resume at Arizona State. I mean, averaging 14 or 15 a game, um, I think he's a guy who can distribute and score and, and do a lot of different things for him. C.J. Wilcher is a very interesting player, and obviously his brother is a big-time recruit in the 2023 class, so it would be awesome if he took off and had a, you know, a key role on this team while his brother's watching it. Um, he's a shooter. He thinks he's the best shooter on the team. You like that confidence. Obviously, that man thinks he's the best shooter on the team. Um, beyond that, Eduardo Andre, um, I want to see if he's that guy. We talked about this with O-Lineman, where they give you that one good year. Or so we've seen guys who they have a promising season, and then they sort of level off. I think a lot of us thought Eduardo Andre last year – has special traits 
and is so fluid in how he moves. And if he could bulk up, which he has, he's gained like, I think 20 pounds, uh, looks like a different guy, probably more, more ready to bang than he was uh, previously. He's going to have to work on staying out of foul trouble. I think that's going to be a key for him. He, that was something that found him pretty easily last year. Uh, but I would say that he's a returning guy that I really hope like makes that big jump. And uh, if he does with the new pieces, that's, that's pretty exciting. Yeah. I, um, I, I think that Walker is a little bit of an unsung returning guy. That's going to be really important for Nebraska because when they didn't have him at times last year, they really struggled and it felt like they were a bit of a different team when he came back and then they had to go on that pause again. And then you got him obviously for the, the, really sort of three games a week kind of finished three or four games a week finished. They had in the month of February. I think Walker is going to be pretty important because as you were talking about with Eduardo Andre, it allows him to kind of still come along a little bit slowly. You don't have to, it always has felt like in the past, Nebraska, when they do have a big man, he has to get, you know, thrown like Jordy, Jordy Shimanga, basically you're thrown into the deep end of the pool before you're ready. Yvonne mm-hmm. Wade Ogo, you're thrown into the deep end of the pool before you're ready. You don't have to do that with Eduardo Andre. You can bring him along a little bit. And I think Walker is a big, big part of that. And he uh, he also shows some pretty good smarts. I mean, he's he gives you a two-man game with a pick and roll with McGowan's a little bit. Uh, he also has the ability to, to go up and fight for rebounds. He's not going to score a bunch for you. He has no real front-facing game. He's more of a put-back guy or catch-it-down-low or an oop guy. But uh, I, I just think that he has a little unsung value for Nebraska in their front court. And uh, I'm excited to kind of see that play out as well. Yeah. It, I guess the thing that gives me the most optimism is Fred Hoiberg. I, when I've heard him talk in a few media sessions, even this summer, I think he really expects his team to, to be really competitive, like to be a team that can actually, you know, maybe I think they won seven games last year um, to really, to really turn the story and move past that. And if you listen to him in the past, I think you sense that he knew going into the la- the first two seasons at Nebraska, that it wasn't quite there yet. You know, like it, I think if, if you were kind of read his quotes closely uh, there was some truth being told that th- this is a very much in building and obviously it still is, but I think, I think they really believe through what they've seen and the talent they've acquired that uh, they're going to be a different animal for other teams in the big 10 to deal with. I'm not get- saying they're going to the NCAA tournament for sure or something like that, but I, I think that's on those guys. mind. Trey McGowan's is he, he said, this is probably my last year here. That's my goal, you know? And so, uh, you know, Bryce McGowan's has short-term and long-term plans combined, and he's not planning on being here forever. His goal is to get this team to the dance. I like that they sort of take pride in – they know that Nebraska basketball doesn't have great history, and that's appealing to them, actually, because they think, like, we could be the, we yeah. could be the guys that, that do that for the first time, and how, how cool would that be for the next – 50 years of your life to be that group of guys who did that, how you'd be remembered. And so I, I like that they understand that. And I like that the Husker coaching staff seems to get that in guys' heads of what they could be if they did this right. Yeah. I mean, that's a, that's an alluring pitch for sure. If you are the team that wins the first game in the NCAA tournament for Nebraska basketball, 
you will be Kings and Lincoln for the rest of your life. And so that uh, we'll see if they even uh, can get on the doorstep of such a conversation, but right. it'll be, it'll be fun to follow. All right. We're 30 plus minutes in and somehow have largely avoided what has taken over the college football conversation for the last five days, Oklahoma, Texas, SEC bound. What's your initial thought on that, Brian, before we even dive into what does a big 10 do or anything else? How do you sort of initially react to the idea that Texas and Oklahoma will be playing conference games alongside Alabama, LSU, Florida, Tennessee, et cetera. And, and you're a guy that uh, I don't, I don't mean to make a joke of this, but you, you've followed college football a long time. You've seen different eras entirely of the sport. This feels like we're entering an entirely new world for college football. You're saying I'm getting kind of old. <clears throat> I was going to say you're getting a little long in the tooth, but then it felt <clears throat> mean, so I didn't want to do it. Uh, it's true. I, I did hit my 40th birthday recently. Um, that, that was a little tougher than I thought it was going to be, I'll be honest. Um, <laughs> it, I, didn't, I didn't expect it. It kind of hit me. Um, but we don't need to get on the couch about that right now. Um, I guess, I, I mean, you're always like, surprised when you're sort of rolling along through your summer and you, you think it's going to be a certain way. And then all of a sudden there's this headline that drops out of the Houston Chronicle, I believe who broke it that uh, Oklahoma and Texas have wandering eyes. But then on the other part of it, everyone around here knows Texas has a wandering eye. They've always had that. I mean, that's why Nebraska is where they are, regardless of what Doug Gottlieb says, you know, like 10, 10 years ago, 11 years ago, Texas and half the Big 12 conference was looking west about maybe going to the Pac-12 and it was being floated as a rumor like every day. And so they, they've always sort of been looking about where can we position ourselves. And I, I get it. I get why they have power. They have great value in college sports. Uh, it's an incredible value. And yet it's such an interesting dynamic when paired with the fact that they really, aside from several years with Mac Brown, have been very ordinary or below that for decades. Not like their, their last decade, I think you tweeted this, Schaefer, their wins are about equal to Nebraska in the last decade, aren't they? Yeah. If you take out the 2020 season in which they played more games, and, and even if you left that in, I mean, it's like 72 to 68 or 73 to 68 in terms of wins from the point that Nebraska left the big 10 to the right now. And that does not speak very highly of Texas, given that Nebraska has what uh, 12 wins over the last three years alone. So yeah, um, obviously, and then 16 wins over the last four, like it's been terrible here. And for Texas to only be marginally better than that, uh, despite all of the advantages and resources and everything else that they have at their disposal, it tells you that the sheen is, is off of that program to me quite a bit. And then you join a, a conference that doesn't, you know, it's not going to make you better because you have sec next to your logo instead of big 12. I mean, you're still going to have the same access to players that you always were. <clears throat> you still have to figure out who is going to coach you and lead you in the right direction uh, and, and get over the hump and all the other things that, that have plagued that program for as long as it has. So um, just the conference change alone really doesn't mean that much 
to Texas. I, I just, I, I'm very curious how they turn this into being more competitive in a tougher conference than where they were this past, you know, stretch run where it felt like they were on equal footing with Kansas state. I wonder how much the struggles of the Longhorn network played into this too. Like, I mean, that did not become what they thought it was going to be. Now, part of that's because Texas wasn't winning at a high level, but also maybe part of it is because there's somewhat of an overstatement of how much everybody in the world cares about Texas football. You know, like I, I, I do think, I think sometimes we go overboard with that. If you go back, people should look up their records in the eighties and nineties. And aside from a Mac Brown decade, then put this last decade with it. So three of the last four decades, pretty mediocre stuff. Like it's not, it's not a program who that we should all be like worried about every step they take. And yet we, we are. Um, and it's a, a lot of it's TV driven um, for understandable reasons, I guess, because of the population base and all that. But um, per capita is the passion there, um, you know, for Longhorn football more than it is other spots. I don't think so actually, but Oklahoma is interesting too, Schaefer, because even though the big 12 to me has sort of not been interesting, Oklahoma had been getting to the college football playoff just fine and, you know, winning games. Uh, and obviously they're going to make more money now and money always talks to the loudest, but, um, when we talked about the roadmap Nebraska has Oklahoma just made their roadmap a lot tougher. Now, of course it helps the fact they'll be, we're probably going to a 12 team playoff, but that's an interesting move from like a uh, sort of a competitive standpoint by Oklahoma when they, they kind of had things going their way. Yeah. I don't know what the, the value add is there either. That's, that's what's just weird about this. It felt like it was uh let's make a move for the sake of making a move. Um, because the big 12 could have existed in that iteration for a while still. Uh, now we don't know what the future of that conference is, but given that they were expanding the playoff, there's even less reason to join the sec than there was before. Because if you're expanding it and if you're Oklahoma and you're the king of your conference and it's now easier to get into the playoff, there's less reason to have to be in the sec. So it's just a, mm. the, the whole thing is odd. And then, of course, the fallout of this is what does every other conference do? And are we going to see another, you know, rush to grab these teams? And then, of course, we cover a team that's in the Big Ten. And I find myself, like, wondering if they're going to try to do a partnership with the Pac-12, if they're going to try to swing for the fences and you try to go get Notre Dame and USC, or what what exactly it is that they could end up doing. Uh, I'm curious, Brian, if you were Kevin Warren, where would you put your focus right now? Would you do anything or would you just leave it alone? It's a, it's a tough question. And this is where you hope, and I don't, I'm not going to say they haven't been because we don't know. You hope that they've been planning for a possibility like this, or at least like have on their board, like, what if this happened? What, what's our move? Um, Because I think Jim Delaney would have been that way. I think Jim Delaney would have had up like, you know, 15 different things that could happen. And what, what's the immediate uh, response to that if they do. And do I trust that big 10 leadership right now is that forward thinking, not based off what I've seen, but um, you kind of hope they are. 
I guess what I would do is I would probably look to add uh, two teams. Um, but I don't know if it's the end all be all right now. I mean, I, you don't have to jump just because someone else jumped, but I mean, it's going to be hard to really offset what the sec did. Let's be honest. I mean, they got two uh, giant names, uh, whatever I said about Texas, they're still one of those helmet schools. And so is Oklahoma. And uh, unless you get Notre Dame, which I think has kind of shown that they're not, you know, ready to, haven't been willing to even really think about aligning with the big 10. I don't know. Now maybe Notre Dame now is like prompted to say, Hey, we could be in a kind of a precarious spot here, but I don't know that Notre Dame thinks that way. I think they, especially if we go to a 12 team playoff, they're probably like, there'll be a special rule for us. We're fine. Let's hold tight. So I, I, I don't know. Yeah. I mean, we, you just mentioned uh, how everyone always has to, concern themselves with what texas football is doing the yeah. same is always said of notre dame too i mean it's it's a, a program that has had a couple moments but for most of my life has always sort of been like remember when these guys were great and yeah. uh it, it is sort of fascinating to to watch that i i think that it would be relatively difficult because they're so tied to the acc with every other sport for them to move over um into the big 10 conference. I, I think, but I mean, if you had a dream scenario, Notre Dame and USC would be uh, up there towards the top for sure. But I, I don't know what they'll end up doing. I just, I don't get excited about Kansas and Iowa state, even though they both fit the academic profile. And, and of course, Iowa state's good right now with Matt Campbell, but again, it's, it's not something Iowa State, I don't think, adds anything for your conference in terms of market value or in terms of uh, television ratings or anything in that regard. So um, I there's a part of me that almost feels like if you're Kevin Warren, you just have to, like, stand pat a little bit. That's possible. And some people, some of us, get caught up on short-term stuff. Like, you mentioned Iowa State. Yeah, they've had it rolling for a few years with Matt Campbell but is that enough of a resume that you're like, well, they've arrived as a football, you know, like, I don't think, I think it's too early to say that. Um, and then Kansas, yes, they bring the basketball aspect to it. Um, but it's, it's football that brings in the most coin right. by a long shot. And that's a atrocious program right now to bring in, um, you know, maybe Lance is going to fix things there, but he's got a lot of work to do. So if, if you're going to swing, you better, you better go for the upper deck. And I know the USC stuff got floated by like Colin Coward yesterday. And that seems really far fetched, but I, I guess we've gotten to that point where anything is believable now, you know, yeah. like it, it really is. I mean, I, I sort of want to just bat that away, but then there's a the part of me is like, well, who knows anymore? You know, we, we've, we've long given up the idea that uh, these conferences are regionalized. Right. And that's all, that's also why the big 10 West isn't a bad spot. Cause actually that division itself is, you know, drivable and it, it's sort of regional. All right. Um, any final thoughts that you have? I don't think so. I, th- I think we covered it all. Um, you give a, do you want to give a 30 second pitch on why people should be watching Ted Lasso? Oh, I love Ted Lasso. You and literally everyone. Yeah, Ted Lasso. It's, like a, it's a sports writer television show equivalent to Bruce Springsteen right now. 
Like yeah, it every is. sports writer is just falling all over Ted Lasso. I have not watched it, but I know that I am the target audience for it and I will enjoy it. It's uh it's a it's good humor, but it tugs at the heartstrings, surprisingly. And actually the sort of building of the team within the locker room is really like it works. Like you can believe it as it's happening. Uh Sudeikis is really good. The start of season two, I'm not going to give away, but they just had the first episode and the first five minutes are really funny, I think. Um, but uh, yeah, it's uh, I encourage people to watch it. And I'm not a big I've sort of not big on watching series and stuff anymore um, since Mad Men. <laughs> that's a, that's like 12 years ago. I'm not big on watching TV since MASH. So this is like. I hated MASH, by the way. I never got the appeal of MASH. Never watched it. I, I feel like I can't hear you say that you don't like series when you talk about Cheers and Seinfeld and you and Brunt's talk about the weird private plane show Wings or something. That was all like 90s, though. That was, that know, was, back, yeah. that was back when there was sanity in this world and you could, you could set uh, your watch to Ted Danson as your bartender. It's a, it was a... Yeah. No, I, I don't know. My original long in the tooth description was accurate before we started this segment. So no, that is right. Uh, Ted Lasso is a, is a good show. I endorse it. So does everybody else, but people can make their own call on it. All right. Well, that is Brian Christopherson. I am Mike Schaefer, Michael Brunts. We hope to have him back in the fold next week. Nebraska football starts this weekend. Believe it or not, there is less than a month until their first game. Uh, no, is that right? Roughly. Roughly less a month than five, until less than five weeks. When whenever this gets published, I'll either look really dumb or sort of accurate. So we'll see uh, how that goes. All right, we will catch you next time with another edition of the Husker Twenty Four Seven podcast.